This is the Evangelical Church of Bermuda's weekly sermon podcast. Thank you for joining us. Here is this week's sermon. Grab your devices or your Bibles. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 this morning, verses 35 to chapter 10, verse 4. So I'll give you a moment just to grab your, your Bibles. Matthew 9, 35, starting there, says this. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to them his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these, first Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and his son, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, God, thanking you for who you are in our lives, God, for saving us, for loving us. Uh, And Father, I do pray that in this moment right now, Lord, that we would just put aside the things that might be bothering us, the things that are in our minds that are, are gnawing at us, the things we have to do or the, the things that uh, weigh on us, Lord. And I pray that we could put those aside to be able to sit and listen to more of who you are, more of what you ha- would have for us. Father, because I, I pray and I know that, that those things are the things that are, are going to fill us up, the things that are going to make us desire to be closer to you. And so, Lord, I I do pray that you would be with Pastor Paul right now, Father, as he uh, prepares to deliver the word that you've placed on his heart. God, I pray that you would guide him. I pray that his words would would be edifying to our our ears and our lives. Lord, that we might leave here not the same people, but God, people who are changed and changed by you. And so, Lord, be with us in this moment. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are at the end of our uh, series through this section of, of Matthew's Gospel, where we focused on the authority of Jesus. Uh, at this point, Jesus' authority is, is very clear. But why, why is this important? Why is this important? You might, you might be thinking, yeah, you've, you've proved that Jesus has authority like, like no one else. But what, is, what does that mean for me? Well, right off the bat, let, let me just go to, to a personal application for us right away before I, I get started with the, the three points and everything else. If, if Jesus has this extensive authority that, that rises above everything else, then that means he's able to work in whatever situation that you find yourselves in right now. 
that's, that's really comforting. We, we don't have to wonder if Jesus can do something with what's going on in our lives. Because his authority tells us he clearly can. We can be confident that if, if nothing seems to be happening, it's not because he doesn't care. And that's what we'll really see in today's passage of Scripture. Whatever you are going through, Jesus does not just have hopeful thoughts for you. He has ultimate authority over it all, so submit to him. Fall into his care. Rest in who he is because he is not a tyrant with all of this authority. He, he connects deeply with your situation. Here are the three things we'll look at in today's passage. The situation, his solution, and the authority to change it. The situation, his solution, and the authority to change it. So let's start with the situation. It's, it's found in, in verses 35 through 37. Let me start with that first verse, 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. There's, there's a lot of cities and villages, right? Probably, probably well over 100. And well, that's a lot of work. He obviously does not hit them all. This, this verse is really a summary of Jesus' authority and, and the fact that it wasn't just limited to a specific area. He went throughout all the cities and villages, and his authority was clearly seen. So it wasn't isolated, right? It wasn't, hey, did you, did you, it, there, was, there was that, did you hear about so-and-so got healed over there by Jesus? It was, oh, yeah, that happened over here too. His authority was clearly seen. He continued in his teaching, his proclaiming of the gospel, and, of course, the healing of every disease and affliction. It just shows how extensive his authority is. There was not one disease or affliction he encountered that he did not have authority over. Every disease and every affliction. Again, that's, that's comforting. Right? There, there's no case of affliction that Jesus cannot handle. The fact that you are suffering with whatever you are suffering with is not because Jesus does not have authority over it. I know I already said that, but I think it's important to say it again. Because that does beg another question. If that's the case, then why doesn't Jesus just heal everybody right now? That's a sensitive question. But the Bible does speak to it. Affliction and suffering are things that God uses in the believer's life to shape and mold them into the image of his dear son. 
Nothing changes us quite like it. Further, it is in suffering that we most deeply connect with Jesus. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. People like to stop right there in that verse. But it continues on. And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. What, what Paul is getting at is that we can't experience resurrection power without first experiencing suffering, which is a type of, of dying or diminishing. We are to embrace suffering because through it, we live more like Jesus lived, suffered, and died. But please, please don't understand me. I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, looking for pain, looking for suffering, right? Loving it. That's what I'm not talking about. That's, that's not biblical. I'm talking about loving what can result from that suffering. James says it like this in chapter 1, verse 2 of his epistle. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials Sorry, meet trials of various kinds. Why? Well, the, the next verse explains it. If James stopped there, that'd be pretty bad. Verse 3, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It, it matures you. James says to play the long game when it comes to suffering because of what's at the end. The perfect example of this is, is the cross. Jesus did not look forward to the suffering on the cross. Right? We know that. That's what Gethsemane shows us. Remember when he's in the garden, take this, this cup of suffering from me, the cup of your wrath, yet not my will, but your will be done. He, he clearly was not looking forward to that. Boy, can't wait to get nailed to a cross and suffer in excruciating ways. No, he, he looked forward to the result of what that suffering would give. Hebrews 12.2 says it clearly. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see that? That the joy was obtained through enduring the suffering. That joy was, was his exaltation because of our salvation. For the believer, there, there is something joyful to be gained through enduring the suffering that we encounter. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying that's the biblical reality. And for those of you who have 
been through various trials, who have suffered with different afflictions and come out the other side, you know what I'm talking about. Let's, let's continue on with the situation. I want to note two things about the situation. Look at, look at verse 36. We're back in Matthew 9. When the crowd, well, sorry, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When he saw the crowds, don't buzz by that. Jesus is always attentive. He doesn't miss anything or anyone. You may choose to ignore him, but he will never ignore you. He sees you, but it doesn't stop there. He just doesn't see you. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. What does it mean to have compassion? Well, it's, it's to feel pity or sympathy. But at its base, it means, it means to be deeply moved. In, in the ancient Hebrew thought, it, w- it was it, the bowels of you. Right? That, that was where the, the seat of emotion was. For, for us, we would say it's the, the heart. Jesus was moved in his heart. To to have compassion means to to enter into someone's situation and and feel what they're feeling. It's it's entering into someone's life. Jesus not only sees you, but he moves toward you and enters into your life and feels what you are feeling. Further, that, that, doesn't make him, that doesn't make him cringe when he does this, like, like it can when we might try to do that to someone. It doesn't make him cringe because it comes from who he is. Isn't that beautiful? That this is his heart toward us as believers Always. Always. No matter if it's your best day or your worst day. You know, this is what we are called to do as followers of Jesus. To, to, to move in the same, to see in the same way Jesus sees and to move in the same way Jesus moves. And that's hard because we have that roadblock of selfishness. We find it hard to see people because we are too busy looking at ourselves. We find it hard to enter into people's lives because we get, we get caught up in our own. But this is what it looks like to love. To really love. Jesus says it's like this in... Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25. 
Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We we don't tend to love like this because we think our needs will get lost somehow. But Jesus says that when we deny ourselves and take up our cross in, in loving people, and that's what the cross was, it was a love for you and I, then we will not lose our life, but find it. Think, think of Jesus. He, he denied himself by going to the cross, but was glorified because of the cross. His, his loss was not only our gain, but his gain. Losing your life is is counterintuitive to do. And you'll fail to do it without Jesus. Because if you have Jesus, he will always see you and love you no matter if no one else ever does. When, when you deny yourself, you may not get any love back in return from the person or people you're loving. But Jesus will always love you in an unconditional way. If, if you're in a hard relationship, and you're pouring yourself out to that person. You are modeling Jesus-like love. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. Even, even if, it's, if nothing's coming back to you. Even if you're saying, what's the point? There, there is a point. And maybe you can't see it now, but it's coming down the road. And, and remember that Jesus sees you. Even if the other person does not, and, and his heart is drawing near to you to fill you up with whatever it is that's lacking. Jesus Jesus describes the situation he sees here and is deeply moved by in in a couple ways. He uses a couple metaphors. He uses the metaphor of shepherdless sheep and few farmers. Let me read about shepherdless sheep here. It's verse 36 again. When, the, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The, the people that Jesus saw were like sheep without a shepherd. 
This is, this is reminiscent of the prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. And when, it, when I say the shepherds of Israel, I'm not talking about the ones that looked after physical sheep. This is, this is the imagery of the rulers of Israel. And it's, it's found in Ezekiel chapter 34. I, I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter at, at some point. The leaders of Israel in the past and in Jesus' time now were guilty of not being good leaders to the people. Listen to the beginning of this prophecy in, in chapter 34 of Ezekiel in verse 2. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You see, again, these, we talked about being inwardly focused, right? These leaders of Israel were inwardly focused. They, they were concerned about themselves and their own glory. Jesus gets really vivid and, and verbal to, to them about this later in Matthew's Gospel. But the point is that they're not like Jesus, who sees the situation clearly and is, is moved in his heart. They, they don't love like Jesus because they don't deny themselves. Because of this, Jesus says the people are harassed and helpless. Harassed has the idea of not being cared for, feeling afflicted or weary. Helpless has the idea of not having any hope, feeling thrown down and unable to get up any longer. You know, as I, as I thought about that, this, this is sometimes what churches make people feel like, even if it's not intentional. People often perceive that everybody in church is doing well, and so they try to put on a happy face, but on the inside, they're weary. They're thrown down. They feel like they can never rise because they, they feel like there's this impossible standard of, of seeming normalcy and they feel hopeless. Can I remind you that the leader of the church is Jesus himself? Who's the good shepherd? He, he does not use you or sacrifice you he does not look past you or ignore you. If everybody's doing fine and one goes out, he goes after them. He does not feed off of you. He feeds you. The good shepherd knows you because he sees you and yet still laid down his life for you. That is his heart toward you. That should be the heart 
of the church. If, if we have Jesus, the Good Shepherd, on display in our lives, this, this won't happen when people come into the church who feel weary and hopeless. They will feel seen and, and moved toward. They'll feel loved. When we realize that's how Jesus loves us, and, and this is how this happens, it's not something we muster up. When we realize that's how Jesus loves us, we will be compelled, compelled to love others in the same way. The second thing that, that Jesus saw that caused his compassion, that metaphor, was, was few farmers. Few farmers among a ripe harvest. Verse 37 says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There, there were an extensive amount of people hurting, weary, and hopeless. And only Jesus was going to them with the good news of hope and the healing they longed for. I, I love how Jesus sees. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't see foolish or, or, or lazy sheep. He sees sheep in need of a shepherd. Sometimes we can get so critical of people, can't we? Jesus says, yeah, there's a, there's a mess going on with you, and you need a shepherd. Right? Jesus doesn't look out and see, see a worthless humanity. He sees a harvest of people ready to receive him. So here's his solution. It's found in verse 38. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Right, this was the action that Jesus took in response to what he saw. He asked his disciples to ask God to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus' solution to a world that needs the hope and healing that can only be found in him is to have more people harvesting like him. More people pointing to the hope found only in Jesus. More people showing the heart of Jesus by seeing and entering into the lives of people. We're not trying to form an elitist group here. We're trying to bring as many people to the Good Shepherd as possible. You know, you know, the common metaphor use of the harvest in the Bible is the judgment of God, which will happen one day. We don't have unlimited time. There, there are billions of people in the world today who have never heard of Jesus. 
billions. And we have many of them right here in Bermuda who don't know the Jesus of the Bible. They've heard of Jesus, they have a concept of him, but many of them don't know the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd who sees and has compassion and laid down his life for his sheep. We have a, a ripe harvest field waiting for Jesus, so we need to pray to God to send out laborers into this harvest. What is so interesting about this is that the laborers end up being the ones who prayed. Let's look at that in our last point. The, the, The authority to change it. The authority to change the situation that Jesus saw and then and also continues to exist today. Verse 1 of chapter 10. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. It turns out that the answer to praying for laborers for the 12 disciples was themselves. Jesus told them to pray. Jesus called them to himself. Then he gave them authority. There's that word again. He gave them authority like his authority. The phrasing to heal every disease and affliction is almost identical to the description of Jesus' authority back in in, in verse 35, our first verse of chapter 9. These 12 would be an extension of Jesus' ministry to go out and spread the good news of himself. And they would go with his power to authenticate it. In in verse 2, these 12 are called apostles here for the first time. And apostles simply means the one sent out. And then then we have their names in verses 2 through 4. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon probably because he was called first, who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. You know, if, if, if you were in the first century and you were getting a copy of this for the first time, and you were reading this right here, and you got to this Judas who betrayed him, you'd be like, what? <laughs> like, you, you probably knew Jesus died on the cross, but, but this would have been like, what, you mean one of his own actually gave him up? So, so this, 
this, this is quite a shock value here that Matthew put in here, right? Like, you know, the, the, the modern novel has nothing on the Bible. In fact, the modern novel is probably, the, goes off the Bible. It's the reason we have the modern novel today is because of the Bible. Now, now these, these, 12, these 12 people are not painted with much ability or faith. We've already seen that their faith is, is small and, and easily shaken. And, and that's just the beginning of what we'll see. If, if Jesus operated like the world, he would not have chosen these guys. Do you think? Probably not, right? Listen to this, this write-up from a... Uh, and, and this is sort of like... I, I, the author's unknown. I, I can't give any credit to it. Um, but this is a little write-up um, from, from what they call a management consulting firm. The Jordan Management Consulting Firm. And, and what, what they might say to Jesus as he sort of submits... Uh, the, his, the, the resumes of his disciples to this, this um, management consulting firm. It is this firm's opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have, te they do not have a team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons with experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. James and John, the son of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. Matthew, we feel it's our duty to tell you, has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings, and they both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He's widely motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. <laughs> this, it's funny, but this is how the world would have looked at the disciples. Jesus, but Jesus chose these ones. Jesus chose these ones and sent them out. So what made the difference? Well, it's simple. Jesus. He called them. and he has the authority to change them. Jesus called them and they came. They just simply came. Jesus gave them authority and sent them out and they went out. If, if Jesus used disciples like this to change the world, could he not use you too? Yes, definitely. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into 
his harvest. If, if Jesus has drawn you into this diverse group today we call his church, it is because he called you and, and you came. You came to him. Even though he sees you completely to your core. A love like this is too great to keep to ourselves. Jesus has changed your situation by his authority and brought you from darkness to light. And he has given you the authority to bring his changing love into the lives of others. And it's as simple as knowing the love he has for you that, that seeing love and that love that draws near to you no matter how unworthy you think, and then, and then soaking in that and then showing that to others, demonstrating that same love. Not looking for something in return, but knowing you already have it in Christ. What a privilege to be able to do this. A responsibility, yes, but also a privilege. So let's pray and let's go. Father, thank you so much for this, this passage of Scripture that, that shows your very heart through Jesus Christ, our Lord. A heart that sees us clearly as sinners, yet moves towards us. Thank you for everyone who has responded to Jesus and continues to respond to Jesus by coming to him. And I pray more would respond to Jesus in our midst and in our country and in the world. For there is a ripe harvest of people waiting to be seen, waiting to be moved toward with the message of Jesus Christ. That we can be accepted by you through him. Father, help us to, help us to see this great need. Help us to, to pray that you would send people and then send us. No matter if we feel like we're ready or not. Help us with this great privilege, this awesome responsibility. For on our own we'll fail, but with you, we are guaranteed the victory. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, check out our website at ecb.bm. Join us again next week for our next podcast.